0: welcome to episode 10 of the analytics fc podcast i'm sam gregory joined as always by tom warville and this week our guest is ryan from Optipro, who's going to talk a bit about the Optipro forum coming up in february and the applications for the forum and what that all entails so can you introduce yourself ryan
1: no problem at all so um yeah i'm ryan part of the uh, Optipro pro team that's with some of you may know simon frant john coulson and um so we're part of perform group within uh, the perform content division so for those who don't know perform Co- um, perform group is a sports content and media company with a, a range of different brands and divisions and uh Opta Pro is one part of that
2: so in terms of uh re- relationship between Opta and Perform group it's just one part has that been like that for a while or has it been sort of been taken over uh, recently
1: taken over around 18 months ago and um Perform has taken over a lot of different brands, and um, that transition's been happening. Now we're all, we're all in place within the same offices, and we're, uh, yeah, we're getting there. We've got, our, we've got our structures in place, and um, it's all pretty much, uh, pretty much complete there. So uh, good to be a part of the Perform team.
0: Now, I've noticed a lot people just throw around the word Opta and don't really say what it is or what Opta does. So can you give like, a little bit of an overview of what you think the role of Opta is within the broader footballing context?
1: No problem um, essentially opta is um, provides live sports data at a base level that's that 's what we do and um, that 's with a range of to a range of different clients so you 've got your media uh, betting um, you 've got your broadcast side and you 've got the professional game as well, which is where Opta Pro fits in, which is my area and Op- with opta Pro, we work with clubs to um, support with data analytics and our products and all to enhance on-field performance. Everything we do at OptiPro relates back to the on-field performance side. So you'll have clubs that will take um, just the data and work with it themselves. We'll also be able to provide products, which helps provide some more context and can help them with the recruitment and analysis side. And uh, we can also look at the consultancy areas of clubs and um, looking to share uh, metrics and uh, working with them on a bespoke basis.
0: And so the data you work with with clubs, is that sort of a data set data sets that are asked for by the club? Is it a basic data set that gets sent to every club? Is it more tailored to each individual club? Can you talk at all about that or is that all dealt with um, on the club?
1: Yeah, I can give a fair, fair bit of information on that side. Um so different clubs will have different budgets and therefore they'll take different levels of data. So the clubs of the higher end enterprise enterprisingly take more than the clubs of the lower end. Um Clubs won't have secret data as such. If clubs look to, um, if a Premier League club wants Premier League data, that Premier League data will be available to all the other 19 Premier League clubs and anybody else who, who would who would like to use it.
2: So I guess that sort of, and to the sort of set the background in terms of what Opter is and what Opta does. Um, and the sort of main reason we've got you on is because the third Optipro Forum is coming up in uh, February, I think, next year. Um, yeah. And I know that the deadline for that's coming up soon for abstracts, so it would be cool to sort of set the scene in terms of what the Optipro Forum is. Um, quite a lot of our listeners probably have heard of it already, but just for those who are sort of new to this area or haven't heard of it before, can you just give us a bit of a background around that?
1: Yeah, no problem at all. Um so the OptoPro Forum started, yeah, so it was two years old, and um, it was sort of come of the idea that there's a lot that clubs can learn from those operating outside of clubs. And those operating outside of clubs um, have got some great ideas, some great insight that can be used um, and applied within clubs. And it was important to connect these networks, especially as we've seen, we've seen a lot of people go from roles outside of clubs to be... To go into clubs so there is that demand there from clubs and to see what can be done in this area so we thought that we create this event that sort of connects this industry and allows for a sort of safe environment of cross-learning showcasing new ideas development skills and opportunities and um, the way it works in terms of a breakdown is anybody can apply to present at this event all you need is essentially an idea and people will submit their idea and our judging panel We'll review what's most relevant, what's most applicable, what's most feasible, and um, then the selected pr- presentations will be provided with uh, with data, and they'll be asked to present at the event.
0: And where did the sort of genesis of this forum come from? Was this something clubs were asking for? Is this something that you wanted from the sort of outside perspective of bloggers and fanalists and people like that? Where was Where did the idea come from?
1: Um, it, was, it was from within, so it was somewhat of a, of a gamble, but um, having that dialogue both with professional clubs and with the online community, with the academic community, we were able to make that connection that there was a link between these groups and these networks. So, um, and the forum fitted in nicely in that all different elements were involved, and I think most importantly, all different parties would, would benefit from this event.
2: And just on your last point of the sort of parties that attend, obviously there's a presence from those sort of outside of the football community officially in terms of sort of the bloggers. Um, On the actual sort of inside within football, who are the sorts of people that will be attending this event?
1: So last year we had um, professional first team analysts, uh, academy analysts, uh, heads of technical recruitment, um, directors of football attending. So a real mixed bag, but mainly in the analysis sector. And... um, we had uh, over 140 delegates last year from over 40 different clubs from around the world.
2: So pretty big, and it's probably worth noting that I mean I attended last year, uh, privileged to attend last year, um, and it was yeah a really really interesting event in terms of speaking with people afterwards and just sort of generally networking with people from like Zen at Saint Petersburg, um, a couple of guys from Crystal Palace, Chelsea, places like that. So it was cool to just sort of gauge the ideas and and sort of consensus of people's ideas about analytics in general and then in terms of in terms of sort of the the talks that we'd seen on stage and, and sort of a little bit of discussion around those ideas too. So yeah, it was a really good event. Definitely look forward to the next one. Um, in terms of things that are presented there, Sam, I know you put forward a uh, an abstract forward for the last one. Do you want to just mention that quickly about sort of your idea?
0: Yeah, so I think we went over this on a previous show. I submitted last year, I wasn't able to get to London. But um, my proposal was on looking at varied attacks. So it looked at, essentially, I divided attacks into four categories, cross-attacks, through-ball attacks, long-ball attacks, and uh, build-up attacks. And then looked at teams that vary their attack types within a game versus teams that don't as much, and see if it actually affects the percentages or the percent of times that these attacks are successful. And I found pretty much no evidence that, or very little evidence that varying your attack really benefited your attack as a whole, and that teams who focus on one type of attack or focus on their strengths do are just as well to do that than to variate their attack just for the sake of variation. So, Ryan, in terms of like ideas that people put forward, Sam's is obviously a,
2: a very much like sort of footballing strategy uh, idea. Um, is that sort of the main? consensus of ideas that come in like that or are they a lot more wide-ranging
1: they are they are wide-ranging I think I had a look at um had a look at the feedback that Sam's had this afternoon actually I thought um that might be quite interesting and a lot of the judges were um, positive toward it being focused clear and simple and relevant they, those words came up a few different times um, one particular quote is how how it wasn't overly sophisticated but could be useful to a club which which is more important than the level of sophistication if that makes sense so we see a lot of people perhaps try try and go um, too far beyond what the audience will understand and or even think that that's the level that is needed for the audience to understand but i think there's um there's you know very very important at how how it, how it is to to get a simple focused abstract and a lot, of the, yeah, a lot of the clubs will need that because they're not as um, perhaps data literate as, as some of the presenters.
0: Are there any other uh, proposals from last year or presentations that really stood out as good examples of what judges are looking for and what clubs are interested in?
1: Throughout the past year, I've um, whenever the forums come up in discussions um, from clubs, from, um, with bloggers, with academics, um, Gary Delar's presentation has always been always been singled out as one that, one that was really really positive and that it was clear it was feasible and um, it was applicable as well and that so that struck a chord across the whole board so I'd, uh, I'd certainly recommend taking a look at that if you hadn't seen it yet
2: And just to get a sort of an understanding of how people present these things and sort of their style are there any examples online that we can find anywhere to uh, you know for people to see the uh, event from previous years?
1: Yes, we've got the, um, up on the Octopro site, on the, uh, the blog, we've got some videos from 2014 and 2013. Um, we've got Dan Barnett's on free kicks. Will Morgan's looking at um, an idea around recruitment. And we've also got a few, um, a few of the presentations that have been turned into written blogs as well. So there's, um, there's around 10 or so that you can get an idea of, of the variances in terms of the, the ranges and topics that are covered but also the level that, that hits the mark that how it doesn't need to be the, the most complex thing in the world As such how simplifying it and making it focused is is the most important outcome here.
0: And have you ever, have you had any feedback from actual clubs or people that attend that have more of a say in the footballing world that they've gained something from these events or from these abstracts that are presented?
1: Yes. Um, we tra- we we got feedback immediately after the event last year and um it was a similar topic, similar topic, and themes came up in terms of wanting to make sure that it is actionable given their such limited time, you know, time restraints. So they, they need to make sure that it's feasible what can be implemented within a club. And um, we also looked to engage clubs um, and club analysts earlier this year as well to try and find out if there are any areas that they'd be interested in. And um, while we, you know, it's, it needs to remain a diverse event, one of the key things that did come up was looking at. Um, almost the transition from, um, from youth football to first-team football or player development with age. And uh, that was something the club's um, mentioned and interested in, so that's something we'll be looking out for and we'll be uh, providing a little more guidance up on the price out over the coming weeks.
2: So in terms of um, actually putting forward an, extract, sorry, an abstract, um, yeah. what's, the, what's the deadline that people have got to get, we'll get on ready and send it off to you guys?
1: The deadline is uh, 18th of October, I believe. That's a Sunday. So there's a fair bit of time there and it's only um, a two page abstract maximum. I think um, last year we had uh, around 60 for the judges to look through. So um, as with these things, the sharper, the more concise, the the more likely it is to get to get noticed and, and picked up by these judges.
0: And what data is available for these abstracts? If you're trying to figure out what you can work with, what you can't work with, do you have any guidelines for that?
1: Yeah, of course. Um, so we'll we'll try to to tailor the data to suit the needs of the uh, presenter and the analyst. Um, so a lot of people probably haven't worked with up to data before or aren't familiar with up to data. So the um, our raw feeds come in come in the XML form, but we can we can tailor it and tweak it, and that will likely be in the XML. In the excel file, but Opta collects every uh, every on the ball action from a game so you know, that uh, touches passes shoot it shoots shots sorry uh, crosses and uh, we've got different um, fourteen different types of pass so it's detailed data and that sort of thing so we're looking at around one thousand five hundred actions per game and we've got you know a range of leagues and then goes back a, a fair few years six seven years and um We'll tailor, yeah, we'll tailor out the uh, the data requirements to uh, to what the person needs. And um, this year we've also got the um, got tracking data, in again, which is uh, which is great news. And again, we'll be working with the uh, with the successful presenters on a bespoke basis there, to um to ensure that confidentiality remains, as that's a that's a key element of the tracking data.
2: The Biggest takeaway for a lot of people from this podcast would be what tips do you have for applying? Um, so I know that Chris uh, Anderson posted on the. Uh, Pro blog today just some sort of ideas as a judge um, which is obviously a great read so in terms of you know some, any from that that really stand out or any you feel yourself could be useful in terms of tips uh, what do you think would be useful for a potential um, you know abstracts?
1: I think it's always it's always worth asking yourself the question of the, the so what question the is it relevant and I think that is that is so important and that will be so relevant to, to the guys in the audience who will want to come away having learnt something, having felt that they can implement something from the day back to their own, you know, within their own operations. I think that is, that is crucial. And I think I'd, I'd encourage people not to be put off if they haven't worked with the data or they don't think they've got the, the perhaps math levels and skills of, of other presenters in the past. And I don't think that's been a stumbling block for what people have considered good analysis. I think, um, Clarity and getting across that idea has been key. Within the presentation, there's only 15 minutes to get the idea across. So if it is a complex one, you could lose people. You might not have the time. And so I can't emphasize enough how uh, how important it is to keep things clear.
0: So are there any areas that clubs are particularly interested in, either at this forum or that you've found in last forums within analytics, whether it be like tactical or player recruitment or predictive? Is there some sort of exploding field that clubs have a lot of interest in compared to others in analytics, do you think?
1: Um, I think clubs are always interested in the recruitment side, how they can how they can narrow it down, how can they can narrow a search down, what processes and steps they can go through in terms of creating perhaps a more more objective and a, and a new approach to, to finding that next player and this year we've also seen about the um, player development's been a key area in terms of whether a player breaks through perhaps at 16-17 compared to a player that makes his debut around 21-22 are there differences in the way they play or are there differences in youth football compared to first team football how do they um, is you know our youth tournament a, a reasonable barometer to, to measure the, the capabilities of a player at first team level?
0: Is the the uh, like youth data available?
1: We have in terms of youth football that we have available, that would be mainly around um, youth tournaments. So in the past we've covered the uh, under twenty one Euro Championships, the most recent under twenty World Cup. We've got a couple of um, we've covered the Toulon tournament as well. So. And uh, we've got a sort of an, an overview there. And um, again, we'd work with the presenter, the successful presenter to uh, to get the uh, the data they'd need.
0: So what is the actual audience at the Optipro Forum? I know it's an invite only uh, event, but how does that sort of system work? So
1: it's the, um, the majority of the audience is made up of uh, club analysts. We've, um, we've had a lot of guy a lot of the bloggers there, um, academics, some students. Some people, anyone with almost a keen interest or a, or a contributor to the uh, to the analytics industry, be that inside or outside of a club. Um, we always find we're oversubscribed. Many people want to attend. But we've got to ensure that within the event that everyone there has something to contribute in terms of analytics and everyone's almost guaranteed an excellent conversation, no matter who you end up speaking to at the event. And um, the best way to 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 start that process in terms of an invite would be to submit an abstract uh, many people last year submitted an abstract, but you could see where their ideas lay and that there were they had they had they had ideas they had something to contribute and then they received invites through through that forum
2: and is the is it uh, uh, is the venue uh the same as last year Bur- Burbeck college in London or is it going to be we'll uh, be
1: in central London again yeah um just finalizing the the final moments of that, but it's likely to be um to be around early to mid-February in central London. Cool.
2: Okay. Um, Sam, any any final stuff? No, I think that's it. Okay, brilliant. All right, thank you, Ryan. That's uh, really useful. I, Hopefully.
1: Uh, a nice um, one. Cheers, yes.
0: Cheers Have mate. a nice evening. Cheers. You too. Bye-bye. So there are a few things we wanted to talk about that came up over the last week since we've podcasted last. One of them was an article by Rory K. Smith on ESPN FC, which talked about sort of using more advanced language in football. And, I mean, he didn't, go after analytics specifically, but it was sort of an anti analytics oh, I don't want to say that because he's going to get mad. It, was, it wasn't... It um, was I mean, there are some analytics concepts which clearly he would not approve of talking about in this way that we do on this podcast, I think, on a regular basis. And his thesis was essentially that football hasn't changed, but the way we talk about football has changed and we're making it into rocket science when it really isn't that. I think that's a fair assessment of what he was trying to say and i just feel like
2: the whole argument in general is just a bit like it doesn't really make sense football evidently is changing we're having these things like we're having counter pressing and we've got analytics and we've got concepts like expected goals like these are new things to football so you've obviously you don't really have to change the way you talk about it but you've evidently got to introduce new concepts to actually talk about these things like Football is sort of changing.
0: I also think, like, beyond just what you're talking about, the way we talk about football, like, these new concepts are being used by clubs. Like, the sport itself has changed dramatically in, like, the last. Well, it's always changed dramatically. I mean, Jonathan Wilson wrote an entire book looking at how formations have changed since football started. Like, little things like that just show that, I mean, it's not the same game it was 20 years ago, it's not the same game it was 30 years ago. And our language adapts to what we're talking about, what teams are doing, what concepts the clubs are talking about.
2: Yeah, I think also like, you know, fans are becoming more literate in, in you know, the, the ideas of tactics and, you know, how to apply stats to football. If you just look at really on the, on the sort of basic level of Monday Night Football, it's not the most over-the-top, in-depth tactical analysis But it is tactical analysis. You're having things like Gary Neville look at uh, Anthony Martial and essentially saying he thought when he was watching the game, he's sort of this winger forward, I think he called him, coming in from the wing and sort of attacking the box from that angle. And then highlighting a couple of times against Sunderland where he he just rolls or holds off John O'Shea and Eunice Kabul, who are both... Greater than six foot two strikers. Like you, you wouldn't have that in your basic, you know, uh, write up in, the, you know, the Sunday Times or whatever the game after the the day after the game. You just like these are new things. They may be, you know, quite relatively easy to understand, and you don't want to confuse them with big language. But sometimes things like, you know, you want to introduce new terms because they're a lot easier to use and say what you want to say instead of having to use, you know, loads of words to get to the point you're talking about. <laughs>
0: Yeah, and I mean, I don't want to be like, the internet changes everything, but the internet does change (laughs) a lot, and the way that, I mean, as you said, people are talking about football in more sort of in-depth ways with different terminology and with more, just looking at different concepts, and I think there are these little communities that pop up, like the analytics community, like the tactics community, that give, I think they give a lot of value to just the average fan, even if they're not fully bought in. I mean, we've mentioned this a few times on the show, but I think like Mike Goodman's writing is a perfect example of this. Yeah. He's writing for a general audience, and he introduces a lot of really simple, I think, ta- I mean, I always think after I read the Mike Goodman article, I think, oh, wow, how did I not notice that before? <laughs> like some little tactics thing that I really should have noticed while I was watching the game. And it's something that doesn't take a whole lot of buy-in, it doesn't take a whole lot of uh, prior knowledge, but it does look at the game at a more advanced level and make you think more, which is I think objectively positive. I think, yeah, definitely. I totally agree with what you're saying. And also it's not like say
2: with Mike Goodman, he's not introducing radically new concepts. It's just literally talking about the game of football in simple terms so that anyone can understand the the sort of message he's trying to, create and, and his level of writing and the quality of writing on Grantland as a whole but on his writing is you know far superior to the sort of trash that you get in terms of five things we learnt about Manchester United versus Arsenal which you get which is mind-numbing and there's no lessons in that article and there's no real sort of theory in there apart from just being completely subjective about you know the game you've just sort of watched I mean it's really I sort of get Rory's idea, but equally, I just I feel that he's you know wrong and football is changing even I mean I think the Mike Goodman piece the last one about sort of how Ronaldo is changing position uh, from sort of a winger to more of a central striker sort of is something that's very easy to understand and you don't have to introduce concepts to make that seem harder than it actually is and that sort of embodies what football writing should be you can introduce new concepts as long as yeah, you're making them clear and you're making them understandable to the average fan. Because then you're you're not only talking about them, but you're also educating these fans in these areas of say, you know, changing positions or expected goals, things like that.
0: Another thing I sort of took issue with in the article is he says he mentioned something about, well, this isn't the way that Rafa Benitez would talk to Ronaldo or something, saying that these players don't understand the game on this level. They it's too much information to give them. And I think that's I think we should expect more of players. And I think it's not out of the question for I mean, players aren't idiots running around with two good feet, right? I mean, they have hopefully they have brains in their heads. And I think we should it's not unfair to ask them to use them to think about these concepts. I mean, in baseball we've seen there's baseball guys who are really well versed really well versed in sabermetrics and MLB players. Like it's not it's not unheard of to say, okay, let's try and up the discussion level, even within clubs, to players. I don't think that's unreasonable to ask. After all, it's their job to do that. Which is where I sort of see with analytics and
2: with sort of tactical writing as well, that players shouldn't be this separate entity. They are actually part of the conversation, considering that the work you do around tactics and analytics is including them and, you know, it's about them. Um, An example that I can think of to sort of show this is uh, it was a talk by Kurt Goldsberry um, at the last uh, Nessus conference, uh, the North American synopsis on sport in statistics or statistics in sport, one of those. Um, And he was essentially saying that he showed LeBron James, one of his like now famous shot charts, uh, Kurt Goldsberry shot charts, uh, and the first thing that James says was, this is some unique shit, which is quite cool because it's sort of using visualisation and, and numbers to show a player how they're playing. But equally, then you are including them in terms of you can educate him, and just, well, not educate, that sounds like you're uh, being patronising, but you can show the player and sort of say, look, you can adapt your game to this or you're not so good here, can you think of why that may be, and things like that. And including players in that conversation and not viewing them is this sort of separate entity altogether it means that you can, you know, it's okay to use complex language. It's okay to use terms and new ideas because these players understand that there's no, there shouldn't be this separate area in terms of, you know, you know, thinking about players, not understanding certain concepts when they probably and should actually, you know, understand them and be using them.
0: Yeah. Well, and there is sort of an arrogant er- sort of an arrogant assumption that like journalists or analytics people, whoever it is, have a better understanding of the game because we're watching it from afar. But like these guys, the players are deal with football much more than we do on an average day. I mean, they play it every single day, right? They're smart people. They under, at least on a football pitch, they're smart people. They understand a lot about the game, even if they're not maybe as eloquent commentators, (laughs) but they are, they are people who are thinking about the game on an everyday basis. So it's not like it's ridiculous to ask them to think about it in different terms or with different approaches. I just think it was it was a very
2: sort of general, uh, generalist sort of essay written essentially for the common fan who doesn't want to change and wants to see the game as it was twenty years ago. Whereas you know a lot of the younger fans of this generation are more adaptive to newer concepts. So you know maybe Rory Smith's right, maybe we're wrong, but. I think a lot of football as well is very much how you see it and the way I see it from being someone who has an active interest in analytics and tactics is that it is changing. Maybe because I choose to view it from that angle of the football world is changing because I'm, you know, looking th- looking at it through these radical ideas, but equally these radical ideas are apparent and, you know, football is changing because of them. Yeah, for sure. So I guess the second biggest topic this week uh would be Brentford. Um Sacking their manager um, after a few months, three months potentially um, which was it started this whole debate in terms of you know you know his analytics are fad, and there was another piece which uh, Roy Smith again, but he promoted on this timeline on Twitter essentially saying how potentially Brighton are doing it better um, top of the championship with twenty one points uh, given the fact they 've only played less than ten games and it's still very early in the season. It's hard to pull those sort of conclusions, but equally, you know, have Brentford got it wrong? Is this, you know, is it too early to tell? What are your sort of thoughts, Sam?
0: I mean, I don't follow the championship closely enough or Brentford close enough to have like a concrete opinion one way or another, whether they're doing this the right way. But I just thought this was super interesting based on our conversation last week about smart and stupid clubs. And I was sort of talking about how how do we find out if the club is doing things the right way outside of just looking at transfers. And I think one way you said was looking at manager hires and fires. And if Brentford was any other club, I think I would say, like, this looks stupid to me. This looks like you trusted this manager uh, two and a half months ago, and now suddenly you don't based off not the worst results ever, but not good results to start the season. But then, I mean, the flip side is I don't know what's going on in the club and I'm, I'm reconsidering it because it's Brentford, and I know that's not—that's probably not a good thing to do. I should be approaching these clubs in the same way and not just give one the benefit of the doubt. And maybe it's saying that I should be giving more clubs the benefit of the doubt because I don't understand what's going on. Maybe there's a personality clash. Maybe he wasn't listening to the, or following the philosophy that Brentford wants to wants to install. I mean, we have no idea why he was fired or why this decision was made. But on the outset, it doesn't look smart to me. But obviously, I know that Brentford is smarter than me. so.
2: <laughs> I, yeah, absolutely. It, it's difficult to sort of see because you'd think if it's down to purely performance, they might say, right, you've got X amount of games to, uh, you know, fit our KPIs. Um, which, like a few people have said, it's probably more down to a personality clash or a sort of trouble of communication, like you might have seen, I mean, I hate to use the example, but with Moneyball, uh, and you see with the A's that um Art Howe wasn't doing what Billy Beam was asking him to do until, you know, halfway through the season and results started changing. You know, maybe it's you know, you have this old big this, you know, fantastic, great operation that's you know, mainly based off analytics and stats. Um but the guy you want, in, guy who's in charge, who you know can be implementing it, is choosing not to or doing it in the wrong sort of way. In which case, that's one big blocker to a team that is sort of sole existence currently is based upon being run through analytics, or you know, a big part of what they do is is you know based on stats. And if you can't get that person to buy in, then maybe they're not the right person for the job.
0: It's funny, uh, James Richardson on Football Weekly this week made the exact same point you just did about Moneyball (laughs) and Art Howe and said, I think facetiously, but they stuck with them and then they went on that amazing streak, so maybe Brentford's doing it wrong. (laughs) But, um, yeah, no, it is is interesting. I think you're probably right that it's a personality thing more than, like, you didn't meet our expectations eight games in because, I mean, we all know football is so random and to... Judge anything on an eight-game sample doesn't seem like something they do, I, so I imagine it is more. I wouldn't rule that out for any other club, I'd say,
2: that could be in the question, but we sort of can quietly, confidently say with Brentford that they probably know when a team's underperforming or overperforming out of any club in the championship or potentially even in England, so,
0: yeah. I think yeah, we- no, I, I don't see it being like a, you didn't meet this standard that we set for week 10 or wherever we are in this season, so...
2: And also, I mean, another big point that people have been mentioning is the, the sort of volume of injuries as well, which another thing is, you know, the management team understands that and that's going to be factored in, you know, you can't help injuries. You can't lose, you know, six of your starters in the first team squad and then still expect a performance. You might do it at a club that's not run as smartly um, because you have, you know, weirdly high levels of, uh, you know, what you want to achieve, but equally Brentford are a smart club. We all know Brentford are a smart team, and uh, you know, two or three months down the line, we could see that that uh, you know that trend continues, especially with um, putting Carsley in charge as well. Someone who is not new to the organisation, who the senior management probably know quite well. Uh, it's not like another random, not so random, but sort of out of the blue uh, hire that they did in the summer. So, you know, potentially this could be the making of them. This could mean that they can actually implement their new ideas with someone that they trust and know is going to buy into them. Um, And, you know, injuries on their side. It's too early to tell whether the whole analytics revolution has failed. Um, And, if you know, if anyone's running with that narrative, you know, just stop.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's another thing I really hate about this, is that, like, Brentford are the only club who's sort of publicly talking about using analytics and are very vocal about that this is their approach. And so everything they do is like a referendum on the analytics movement. If Brentford does well, analytics works. If Brentford doesn't do well, analytics doesn't work. And it's all like, it, it's all come down to just this one club, whether this entire approach is effective or not. Which I think quite nicely ties into the,
2: what we were saying about the start, about sort of advanced language in football. And as soon as Brentford start doing well, it's like, oh, the, the money moneyball men are winning and all this. And as soon as they start getting bad, it's, you know, Oh, you know, you can't win anything with numbers on a spreadsheet. There's this whole, you've got to get to a greater level of thinking and actually go into these ideas a bit more in depth to actually understand them a bit more, understand how clubs should be basing their sort of performance on an underlying level versus just, you know, pure luck. Like, say, uh, you know, Chelsea were at the end of last season or how currently at the start of this season, they were actually just, they weren't underperforming, they were just performing badly. Their underlying numbers were pretty terrible. So when you start looking at that level of debate, then you can sort of talk about you know this is failing, this is going well, but just scratching the surface and just sort of saying you know our Brentford are fourth bottom of the championship, this certain manager analytics is a failure, it's too early, and you know you've got to employ a, a greater level of thinking and in depth look into this if you want to really have a, a solid opinion about this area.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's and it all comes down to the fact that we don't know why he was fired. Right? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So that's all for this week. Uh, I'd like to thank
2: Ryan for joining us again. Um, The deadline again for the uh, OptiPro submissions is October the 18th, I think he said, which is a Sunday. Um, I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. Just a quick note that in the future we will potentially be moving over to a different podcast, uh, essentially supplier. Um, Myself and Sam being pretty poor students can't afford... Uh, our current one so there might have to be an accompanying uh, advert in the episode in future um, apologies for that but it just means that we can keep this ticking over without you know costing us too much money going forward um, cool Sam anything to plug or uh, any last words? No I think that's about it cool right thanks for listening guys uh, see, you, see you soon